Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're very excited to have you with us on this glorious uh, Easter morning. And uh, if you haven't had an opportunity or just didn't feel uh, moved at the time to come bring your carnation up, uh, you can uh, do it during the, the sermon. Um, it may give somebody, you know, something to look at uh, instead of me. Just kidding. It will really distract me if you do that. All right. I don't care if God's telling you to get up and run down here screaming hallelujah. Well, okay, if he's telling you to do that, go ahead. But, um, you know, there will be one more song. So if you haven't done it yet, uh, feel free to do so then. Uh, quick note before uh, we go on. Uh, next week we are starting a new series. And uh, how many of you watch the Food Network? Dude, y'all rock more than 930, let me tell you. Okay, the Food Network is, if you don't know, it's a, it's a network about food. I know. I, I, yeah, I'm glad y'all are sitting for that. Yeah, it's a, it's a network about food, and uh, I love that uh, – Surprise. I, I love that uh, show, or I love that network. I love watching uh, uh, Good Eats um, is a great uh, little program, and also this program called Unwrapped. Um, Unwrapped is a show by Mark Summers. Remember Double Dare? Yeah, he's back, um, and he has his, uh, his own show again, and it's called Unwrapped. And basically what they do is, is they look behind some of your favorite uh, you know, snacks or treats or foods, um, and they show you, you know, they do Paul Harvey basically for the food. Uh, you know, they show you the rest of the story. How, how are the tiny marshmallows in your cereal made? If you watch this, you'll learn. Um, that's kind of the stuff that they do. So what we're doing is we're going to do a series entitled Unwrapped. Yeah, like that should have not, I mean, broadcast. You should have known that. Uh, Unwrapped. And uh, basically what we're going to do is we're going to look at the miracles of Jesus. Uh, we're going to look behind, look into, look around, come around the corner and see uh, some of the different things for five weeks about some of uh, five different miracles uh, that Jesus did. And I got I to gotta be honest with you, really when I started researching for this, I was looking for books out there um, to read and to get some different opinions. Not much written about it. Um, kind of shockingly so, there's not much really written about the miracles of Jesus. Um, and we'll kind of get into that, maybe why that is uh, in the next few weeks. So if you're interested in that, uh, please come. Now we are finishing the series on Abraham. If you have been here um, over the past few weeks and by your attendance, you were not. Um, because there weren't nearly this many of you. Um, over the last few weeks, what we've been doing is we've been doing a series throughout this time of Lent on Abraham. Churchwide, we've been doing this. And we've, we've been following Abraham's story. Abraham, our father Abraham, um, one of the greatest men of the OT, one of the greatest men of the faith, uh, the guy who started it all, it says. He was the father of many nations. From Abraham um, comes Isaac. And then comes eventually the 12 tribes, and then comes David, and then comes Jesus. Um, but our father Abraham, he's called sometimes, and in that little song, uh, he was the guy. And, and what we did is during this time of Lent, what we wanted to do was to look at his life in faith, his life with God, and kind of compare it to our own. Kind of see in his story, in the story of Abraham, maybe some revelations about our own walk with Christ about our own personal uh, spiritual life. And, and what we've been doing is, um, I feel like uh, people over here can't see me. Um, what we've been doing, <laughs> I'll walk over here for a second. Uh, what we've been doing is, um, is we've been talking about Abraham and his life. And, and really what it amounts to is Abraham was a dude that obeyed. I mean, he was a guy that just flat out obeyed. If you look at the, his story from the very beginning when he was called away, God says, Abraham, he goes, here I am. He goes, leave what, everything you've known. Leave your family, leave your child home, leave everything, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Just go. 
Abraham's like, all right, let's load it all up. Get the U-Haul. We're going. Where are we going? I don't know. God's going to show us later. And they go. And time and time again in Abraham's life, the same thing happens. God asks him to do something. He says, okay, no idea what you're doing, God, but that doesn't matter because you're God and I'm not. All throughout his life, it was about obedience. And for me, I don't know how it struck you over this, these past few weeks. For me, I've been kind of going, wow, I don't obey that often, really. I've been kind of embarrassed at my own faith journey that some of the things I know God has called me to, and I'm like, well, I'll do it tomorrow because I just didn't have time today. I know God wants me to spend time in his word, but I just didn't have time today. I was preparing for a sermon, which for me, I'm in a little different place. That's different for me because that's kind of my job. I didn't have time to really spend and let God talk to me. I'll do it tomorrow. I don't think Abraham would have said that. He would have stopped what he was doing and said, this takes priority. I need to stop and listen. I need to stop and talk. I need to walk outside of my tent. Remember that when God takes him outside the tent and see God in a different and new and fresh way. It's about obedience, obedience, obeying. Chapter 25, if you've got your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 25. We come to the end of Abraham's life. The dude was old. I mean, 175 years. He'd lived a life and then some. Chapter 25. I'm going to start at verse 7 here. Abraham lived for 175 years. And he died at a ripe old age. (laughs) Really. Joining his ancestors in death. His son Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave at Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. This was the field Abraham had purchased from the Hittite, where he had buried his wife, Sarah. And so ends the story of Abraham. What? I was so, I mean, when you read this, you're like, you have 13 chapters of his life and his story, and then he's buried next to Sarah. That's it? I mean, I, I felt like when I, when I heard, I was, there's got to be more. Where's the sequel? You know, if you go to a movie and that's how the movie ends, you're ticked off, aren't you? You go back to the office, I want my money back. I can't believe you build it up, build it up, build it up, and then done. What? This guy, you feel like he deserves some, like, getting on the chariot, riding off in fire. You know, you know they saved that for somebody else, though. You know, I mean, it's just him. He's, like, buried next to his wife. Not that that's a bad thing. I mean, you know, someday I hope to be buried next to not his wife, mine. Um, you know, that'd be great, wonderful. You know, someday along, not 175 years, I don't know if I can handle that, but, but that's it. He's just buried. I mean, when I read that and I've been following the story of this man of such great faith and great obedience and great trust in God who did some amazing things, just that. Go back a couple chapters, if you will. If you've got it open, go back to chapter uh, 23. There's something special about the cave where he was buried. There's something special. There's more to it. If you don't know the Paul Harvey rest of the story, you can just brush over that. So chapter 23, when Sarah was 127 years old, just a young lass, she died at what is now called Hebron in the land of Canaan. There Abraham mourned and wept for her. Then leaving her body, he went to the Hittite elders and said, here I am a stranger in a foreign land with no place to bury my wife. Please let me have a piece of land for a burial plot. Listen to this. Abraham was so blessed and had so much cattle, so much sheep, so much money, but he didn't have land. He was a renter. 
He didn't have any land whatsoever. In the promised land, the land that God drove him to, showed him where it was, the land of milk and honey, he didn't have anything. So he has to to go to the Hittites where he was living. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Certainly, for you are an honored prince among us. It will be a privilege to have you choose the finest of our tombs so you can bury her there. Then Abraham bowed low before them and said, Since this is how you feel, be so kind as to ask Ephron, the son of Zoar, to let me have the cave down at the end of his field. I want to pay the full price, of course, whatever is publicly agreed upon, so I may have a permanent burial place for my family. Ephron was sitting there among the others, and he answered Abraham as the others listened. No, sir, he said to Abraham. Please, listen to me. I will give you the cave and the field. Here in the presence of my people, I give it to you. Go and bury your dead. Abraham bowed again to the people of the land, and he replied to Ephron, As everyone listened, no, listen to me, he said. I will buy it from you. Let me pay the full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. Well, Ephron answered, The land is worth 400 pieces of silver. But what is that between friends? Go ahead and bury your dead. So Abraham paid Ephron the amount he suggested, 400 pieces of silver. He bought the plot of land belonging to Ephron. This included the field, the cave that was in it, and all the trees nearby. They became Abraham's permanent possession by the agreement made in the presence of the Hittite elders at the city gate. So Abraham buried Sarah there in Canaan, near Mamre, which is at Hebron. The field is at the cave. The field and the cave were sold to Abraham by the Hittites as a permanent burial place. How many of you have a home on the market right now? Okay, I know some of you are lying because you got a home over there. I mean, it's like, but, okay, if you drive through our neighborhoods, there's a lot of houses on the market. Some of them have been there for a while, a long while. Wouldn't it be great to have Abraham knock on your door and you say, well, we've knocked our price down thousands and thousands of dollars. He's like, no, I'd like to pay a full price. I mean, look at what's just happened. You know, Ephron's like, dude, I'll give it to you. You're an honored prince among us. We love you, Abraham. You know, you're a cool cat. We'll give you this land. Say, no, 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 no. I need to pay for it. And I need to pay full price. Why? I mean, what's significant about that? 400 pieces of silver. I'm going to tell you. 400, a lot of people say it's because he needed, that was a place that God had, lend, had, had taken him to, that he needed to buy. He needed to be invested in it. He needed to give something significant to have a piece of God's land. But something else that's really cool. If you go to Leviticus, there's a section in Leviticus that talks about the amount of land that a family must have to live on. Just a, just a family. And it was a small parcel of land, and, and it cost 50 pieces of silver. They said this was the appropriate price to pay for a piece of land for your family. So Abraham pays 400 pieces of silver for a piece of land. Now, what scholars have done, people much smarter than I, they have gone and looked at the amount of money, 50 pieces of silver, and the amount of land that that would buy you, and they've measured it in inches. And then they transferred that to 400 pieces of silver. And what they found is the size of land that Abraham bought, you could put 600,000, that's what I said, 600,000 men shoulder to shoulder inside of that land. It was a big piece of land. 600,000. Why is that number significant? That is the number of men 
who came back from the exile. That is the number of believers in God who came back, God brought back, delivered from exile. In other words, Abraham symbolically bought a piece of land that was big enough for everyone who believed in God to dwell. Isn't that cool? I mean, you read the stuff in the scripture and you're like, wow, that's a coincidence. No. God knows what he was doing. Think about it. Abraham bought a big enough piece of land for everyone who believed in God to have a place, to have a home. Okay. 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ is dwelling among us. And there's a debt that must be paid. And Jesus Christ agrees upon the amount. And he says, I need to pay it in full. All of it. And what did he buy for us? One of the things that Jesus says is, I'm going to my father's house. And in my father's house are many rooms. And one day I will come again and bring you back to be with me. What did Jesus buy? He bought a big enough piece of land for everyone who believes in him to dwell. Everyone who believes in him to dwell. He took care of it. Abraham took care of those back then. Jesus Christ took care of us. Now, if you weren't here last week, this is cool, but it's cooler if you were here last week. Because let me tell you what went on. Last week, the cross was in two pieces. It was up front in two different pieces. And what we did is we talked about when, uh, when Abraham took Isaac up the mountain, God said, go take your son and make him a sacrifice to me. So Abraham goes up there, he raises the knife, and God goes, whoa! Stop! I know you trust me. I know you fear me. I know you love me. Here's a ram to put in place. But the thing was, Abraham was willing to do anything to obey God. Abraham wasn't going to let anything, even his precious, precious child who he had prayed for for so long, who he had wanted so desperately, his heir, Isaac, he was willing to sacrifice it all so that he would obey God. So what we did last week is everybody had a little black piece of paper. And I said, okay, what is keeping you from God? What is it that you're holding so dear in your life that you are enabled to come closer to God? And then we wrote it down. One word, two words. I saw some people with like five, six sheets. Not really. And then they came up here, one by one, we came up here, and we actually nailed it to the cross. August and Daryl were up here playing some music, but you could hear the sound of hammer and nail echoing throughout this room. John will tell you the acoustics in here are horrible, and they are, but it was perfect for that. They said, clink, clink. As each one of us took what was personal to us, whatever it was, pride, alcohol, drugs, money, whatever it was, we brought it here and we nailed it to the cross. And then this is what we did. We put the cross together and we stood it up here. And I don't know if you, if you were here, you, you'll remember what it looked like. It was black. It was dark. That was powerful. The significance of that act. Because essentially that's what Jesus did is he took those things from us and when he went to the cross, he put them on himself. And the sound of hammer and nail was not into a piece of paper, it was into flesh and blood and to bone. It was into his body. He took those things on the cross for us. 
And what I challenged all of us last week to do was to let it go, to let it go right here, to walk away from it, to leave it here, to remember it as something that God freed you of, but not as something that holds you back and binds you. And it was powerful. It wasn't us. The programming team, we sit uh, on Wednesdays and we plan these things out and we have these ideas and stuff. Mm -mm. We didn't, I mean, wow, it was cool. There were people in tears all over the place. And it wasn't just because of my sermon. That happens all the time. It was because people felt the power of God and the power of the cross and what Jesus Christ did. There's people that stood after the service and were taking pictures of the cross to remember it. Now, y'all are the 11 o'clock service, clearly. And, and so when you came, there was already some flowers here. Those of you that waited a little longer probably didn't see. Some of you who came earlier might have still seen the holes that were in the wood made by the nails. All throughout here are the holes that, that each one of us, as we drove in, our nail left. The holes are still here. But what we nailed to it is gone. I'm reminded of Jesus when he goes to the upper room after he's been resurrected. And Thomas is there. And Thomas doesn't believe because he didn't see him at first. And so when Jesus comes back, Thomas asks to see the holes. The holes were still there. And his hands and his feet. But death was gone. But sin was gone. That's the cool thing about it. I don't think Jesus was dressed in flowers. But what we brought to the cross, he took from us. Uh, Some of you weren't here last week, so you didn't have an opportunity to do that. That physical action. But you always have the opportunity to go to the cross, to go to Jesus Christ and say, God, I can't do this anymore. Take this from me. Because there's only one person on the face of this earth in the history of all humanity that has ever had to go through with what he did. It was him. Remember in the garden, he cries out to God, Father, remove this cup from me. But not my will, yours. So that each one of us, as we come to that moment of desperation and despair, when we're on our knees late at night and it's just so overwhelming, we feel all alone. The thing is, Jesus Christ took the cup from us. He took the cup from us when he took the cross. There's a big house in heaven. Big house. Has many rooms, he says. That's the beauty of this. That's the beauty of, I think, what Abraham did when he bought just enough room for everyone who believed in God. I I don't know what heaven looks like. I have my own ideas, and I'm sure they're so theologically flawed. I've told you it involves bass fishing with Jesus, stuff like that. I, I don't know where that is in the text, but I'll find it at some point. I don't know if when you get up to heaven, you walk through pearly gates and then you see this big, beautiful mansion sitting there and a doorway in and there's St. Peter at the gate going, Hey, Michael, come on in. We've been waiting for you. I don't know. I don't know if it's like Pat Green says that, you know, when I get up there, there'll still be taco meat available for me. 
But what I do know is this, that as I have faith and belief in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, that I have a place. That there is a place for me there. That there is a room. And that one day, Jesus Christ, and maybe while I'm still alive here on earth, maybe one, you know, once I've kicked the bucket a long time ago, one day he will come back and bring me to be with him. To bring me to be with him. And it's open to all of us. All of us. I know he longs to have each of us have our own room there. Our own space there. Our own place next to him. That all of us can get on that boat and head out into the lake in an early morning and catch that five pound bass with him. Or go shopping or whatever it is you do. Whatever it is, we all have the opportunity. We all have the opportunity to come to the cross and to accept the gift of life and freedom that he offers. Today on this Easter Sunday, you know, I mean, the worship team was great. I mean, they were great. They were on fire today. It was great to have crazy Glenn back with us with his hair, you know, going crazy. It was fun to have the whole team. You could see AJ. AJ was bouncing up and down on the drum seat even before we started. I mean, even before the first drum beat, he was, he was doing this. His wife's sitting up here. She's like, wow, he's pumped up. Because it's a joyous day. It's a joy-filled day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the release of death, of our sins and our transgressions, to latch on to the victory that has been won in Jesus that's what today's about. So as you go out to your brunches, you go out to your little lunch and your family stuff, and some of you are dressed better today than you normally do because your mom's in town or something. As you go out and you do your Easter egg hunts, just like Jesus did. Remember, remember what this day is about. Resurrection power, about freedom and life and let that lead let that lead your way today and all the days of your life let us pray Heavenly Father we give you thanks and praise we rejoice today because you give us the opportunity to do so because you give us the freedom from death You give us the power to let go of those things that hold us back from you. To let go of those things that would bind us. You give us the opportunity to know you in such a deep and wonderful way. Through the actions you took on the cross. Through the resurrection. God, we receive life. We receive freedom. I pray, Lord, that all of us would know that. All of us would know that personal relationship of saving grace. That we all would be able to come to the cross and to lay our life down so that you might pick us up. God, allow us to experience you today like we never have before. Allow us to come into your grace and to remember your words that you have prepared a place for us. Jesus, we thank you and praise you in your name.